Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Otter Fishing with me, Trevor Topfer. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us again on Otter Fishing, the podcast brought to you by otterfish.com. Uh, Otterfish is a wonderful little digital marketing tool, uh, particularly if your business runs Facebook ads. Uh, and you want to improve the performance of your Facebook ads, you can run much smarter ads using Otterfish's technology. So uh, give it a try. Jump over to otterfish.com and start up a 14-day free trial and see how good your Facebook ads could be. And speaking of Facebook ads, this is the easiest segue in the history of my podcast. Uh, Today's guest is a Facebook ads specialist from the beautiful Uh, coastal town of New Zealand called Tauranga. Uh, Many of you probably already know him. He's got a significant following on LinkedIn and YouTube and puts out regular content around best practice for Facebook ads. I'm joined today by the wonderful Stuart McAdam. Welcome, mate. Thank you for joining us on the show. Hello, Trevor. Good to be here. Awesome. Uh, Yeah, appreciate you giving up a little bit of your time, mate. Uh, I know things have been pretty hectic for you at the moment. So, um, yeah, cheers for joining us. My pleasure. Um. I know we're going to get into a big, deep conversation. There's a lot of talk at the moment in both of our respective worlds, and this is probably a, a no-brainer for us. But before we get into that, can you just um, let people know, how did you or when did you decide to become a Facebook ads expert? What was it that made you decide to go so specific and so niche in your in your sort of digital marketing? Yeah, so it was something that I think chose me rather than me choosing it. Mm-hmm. I was working at a company full-time working in multiple areas of digital marketing. And prior to that, I'd freelanced for a couple of years. So I'd got a reasonable amount of experience across a number of, number of different marketing areas. And it was only when I left that company to go work for a social media marketing agency did I realize that there was still a huge market of opportunity to go and specialize down into one particular area. And I needed to have something as well that could make me stand out from the competition. So I realized that Facebook advertising was probably the best avenue to focus on because I've done a lot of training with the two companies and learned quite a lot, particularly managing uh, some sizable marketing budgets just on Facebook. So that that was why I chose to go in that direction. Yeah, right. And since then, you've done more than 3 million bucks mate through facebook advertising so you've run a few campaigns by the same <laughs> yeah no it's it's quite incredible to think about it like i had to tally it up when i was coming up with my new website copy on how much i'd you know managed over the years and it was pretty staggering to see that amount in front of me because i always just saw it as um my clients money that i was managing responsibly and i was never thinking about you know reaching a particular milestone it just happened to be the case that I went past it and didn't even know it. Mm. I'm sure it is. Once you're down in the weeds, you kind of forget and you're not really tracking across different client accounts and things, you know, how much am I actually spending? So, yeah, I imagine it would be an exercise to go back and, and think, wow, actually, Facebook's benefited quite a bit from my uh, my last few years on this earth, you know. I've been I've been sh- uh, lining the pockets of, uh, of uh, Meta now, we should <laughs> say, not Facebook, uh, for a little while. Uh, mate, um, I know you kind of specialize in small businesses and, and, and I do get small businesses listening to this podcast. So I'd really love to dive into kind of what you're seeing at the moment. What are the sort of the challenges, the opportunities? Let's get into a bit of a chat about SMEs and, and, and how things are in the Facebook uh, advertising market for them. Yeah, sure thing, Trevor. So probably one of the biggest challenges first is that Facebook's becoming a much more crowded marketplace for advertising on. Previously, you could run campaigns back in the day for 10 to $15 a day. And if you had a niche enough product or you had a little bit of variation, you could generally do all right for yourself. Whereas in now, in order to be competitive, you probably need to be spending at least $1,000 every single month. But mm-hmm. you know, people often confuse the word spend. I, I tend to prefer using the word invest in a platform every single mm-hmm. month. And the reason why that's so important is because it allows you to stand out a little bit more and reach your target market more frequently because very few people buy a product from anyone first time around. Even something as small, small as, say, um, a necklace or um, a pair of shoes, they're going to need to see you a couple of times. So having that larger budget makes you stand out a little bit more and puts you in front of people. 
The second challenge too is obviously the Apple iOS 14 changes, which came into effect um, a while ago now, actually, probably more than a year ago, mm-hmm. but has still really been disrupting a lot of people in terms of tracking um, where people are coming from and also having accurate data. So previously you used to be able to break down sales based on device such as iPhone or Android or desktop or tablet. Now that's a lot more up in the air and Facebook is using statistical modeling based on not only your past performance in campaigns, but also with campaigns that are done by your competitors. So the data is not always accurate. And if you compare it against say Google analytics or any other tracking software you may have, you could get three very different readings. So those two challenges right there, um, a growing overcrowded marketplace and Mm -hmm. also um, the iOS 14 changes, making tracking harder has definitely pushed people to uh, innovate a lot more. And there have been opportunities to get around those things. Um, you just have to go looking for them. Yeah, let's do that. So uh, a little bit about like the expense stuff, I think is a bit of a no brainer, right? Facebook is in my opinion, and I might be biased, uh, you might be too, but uh, in my opinion, it's still the number one advertising channel for a, for a SME. Uh, there's still an enormous number of monthly active users on Facebook. And I do want to get into your thoughts on what engagement looks like and, and the rise of new, diff- new platforms and things. But that aside, because that to me feels pretty self-explanatory, right? More people advertising, it's an auction. You're paying a bit more than the person who, you know, who's competing for you for that same slot. But the iOS 14 one, I think, is a little bit more complicated and a, a little bit more challenging for a lot of people who don't really understand it. What are you, some of the things that you're doing to kind of adjust your either reporting or adjust the way you set up your campaigns or your targeting in order to, to kind of hack the, uh, the issues created by this cookie-less world we're moving into? Yeah, so there are a couple of things you can do. I mean, one of the best ways that has I actually got this idea from a company called Traffic and Funnels, which is you can use an uh, API integration, which feeds information from your website back into Facebook. So... Mm-hmm. It's just something that you can set up with a platform called Zapier. So if somebody fills in like a form, for example, to book an appointment call with you, they can, um, you can get that information pushing them back into Facebook and the data reading is a bit more accurate that way. Uh, It's not a guarantee it'll always work, but it will be a heck of a lot more accurate than the statistical modeling you'll receive. Um, The second thing you can do as well, if you're running a cold campaign is you can actually target based on device type. So Facebook now has the setup where you can use uh, testing just for uh, Android devices and just for iPhone devices. And if you really want to get super accurate information, um, one of the great ways in which you can sort of work your way around it is to just target Android users and then just target iPhone users a couple of weeks later and have the campaign's um, results measured against each other. Um, after that period of time and marry that against sales i assume and see if they kind of correlate right and that'll give you a, potentially a, a line of best through, fit through the uh, through the iphone data that's an interesting way of looking at it. i've never thought about splitting out my data by device and running campaigns based on purely on one device to get kind of a baseline performance metric it's uh, it's quite interesting because very a lot of people think it's a great idea but very um, seldom is it actually done and done. Mm. there's a couple of people that um, have approached me asking that question on, on my YouTube channel or on the ways around that. And I just told them, you know, to give that a try. And then all of a sudden they had actual proper data in front of them from Facebook ads, one month targeting iOS devices, one month not. And even now we find that um, unfortunately for a lot of marketers, uh, iPhone users are still people that are more likely to buy. Mm-hmm. And that's just something which is showing from a lot of the data and you just have to be prepared to, I guess, sacrifice um, some short-term results for long-term gain, figure out what ad copy and what creatives are working best for iPhone users, and then just back yourself when you're running a general campaign targeting all devices later Mm on. Interesting. So you're bringing up the idea now of sort of testing different devices, testing the messaging by device to see if you can find a, a good fit. Do you typically do a lot of that straight into Facebook? And 
on the other side, are you getting most of your reporting from Facebook or do you have another tool that you kind of interpret that or, or push that data to, 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 to see it? What's your setup like? Yeah, generally I like using Google Analytics. I found that to be reasonably reliable as long as you've got everything set up properly. It tends to be uh, quite reliable in terms of giving accurate information. Uh, mm -hmm. Facebook um, sort of data is quite useful if you know how to break it down properly. So probably the most important things to look for is to first find ways to engage people on Facebook and you know build a more engaged audience. And then afterwards, once they go off the platform, for example, to go and purchase or book a call, then you want to look at a platform like Google Analytics or agency analytics, or, you know, if you really got a substantial budget, go to a get a platform like Hyros, where mm -hmm. you can um, get AI tracking, which can tell you where a person started their journey and where they ended up purchasing from. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of small businesses don't have any idea about any of this sort of stuff, you know, uh, these are the intricacies you get when you hire an expert, I suppose. Um, and, uh, I'm finding this conversation already, um, enlightening coming from a tr traditional agency background. So I've, I've spent the last, I don't know, four or five years in agency and in agency, you don't get this level of depth of, um, you know, ar architecture, if you like, or the way you build your campaigns and the way that you go about testing and targeting in order to get it right on this specific platform. Typically, Facebook is a channel within a broader campaign structure. So even SMEs that are, that are paying an agency are probably not getting this, this sort of sniper-like kind of approach to, to Facebook and being, you know, unashamedly, you know, focused on, on getting the most out of that. Typically, we would set Facebook up and go, okay, Facebook, is 30% of the budget, Google's 30% of the budget, and we just sort of do our audience targeting, set up our creative and, and, and push it live. Uh, so I, uh, I, I really feel like you've hit the nail on the head. And I think that you're probably a little bit ahead of your time in that we'll be starting to see more people like you in that agency environment and moving back into the, into the, the space. So Facebook experts, YouTube experts, Snapchat experts, TikTok experts, you know, having agencies that are specific about getting the most from your budget from those channels. Do you think that's, what do you you're think? You're onto something very good there, Trevor. There's a lot of um, agencies that are still trying to offer absolutely everything. And that's often to the detriment of themselves and also to the customers that they service as well. Generally, there are, you know, people who can do one or two things incredibly well and have a, enough of a knowledge to get by with the rest of the things. I've got two friends um, that are also based here in the Bay of Plenty. One's a uh, Google business profile or formerly Google My Business expert. Mm -hmm. And another, he's actually just gone overseas with his partner. And he's a specialist more in the website, but he does know how to do SEO and Google ads as well. And those are generally, you know, a couple of things that they're exceptionally good at. And they can offer again and again and again with predictability. If they were to try and offer, say, email marketing and start doing organic Snapchat content, you know, the wheels would fall off. So they've specialized in a couple of areas and really drilled down on how to master those particular things. And for me, I think the most important thing is making sure that you you know your limitations as well. Like, I don't know how to website code. I've never had a desire. But I know too that if you are sending people off of Facebook to a landing page, if you've got a reasonably good offer and an amazing landing page optimized for conversions, then you can win. Mm -hmm. And that's something which I think maybe we cover later on is just sort of talking about those, I guess, the factors beyond just, just the ads on Facebook, which, mm -hmm. um, which come up, um, but are very seldom thought about. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, people, especially the small businesses that we're dealing with thinking, I just need to get some ads up on Facebook and I'll get some business out of it. And when the bill comes in and they realize what they actually got for their money, suddenly it becomes really, really um, important to start thinking about, well, if, I earn, if I'm paying for that traffic to my website, what am I doing to make the most of that? 
and maximize my opportunity with that particular bit of traffic, right? So we're talking now about remarketing and dropping people and trying to capture email addresses so we can drop them into automated nurture series and we can try and encourage and coax and stay top of mind with that particular contact until they convert. And I like the, the I don't know about you, but I very seldom see small businesses taking their paid media to that level, right? They just sort of do a cool looking ad advertise a, a, an offer of some kind and chuck it up with a bit of audience targeting and some budget and hope for the best or just push the boost button which is oh, which the, even worse. the tragic boost button the... <laughs> yeah <laughs> they just donate your money to facebook button yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, with that i think another challenge that you often see with people um who are new to the platform is that they'll also try one creative one piece of ad copy, one headline to one audience in one location. And that very often is something which is, you know, the beginner's curse because they're not aware of the potential to go out and diversify a little bit more. And some of the best advertisers out there will have reasonably simple looking campaigns, but it will be set up and structured in a way where they've got, you know, ultimately, 81 different ways of reaching somebody in a particular area. So they could have three pieces of ad copy. They could have three headlines. They could have three target locations. So three times three times three times three, I think equals 81. So that's something too, which I think, you know, a lot of your listeners, if they're looking for um, a piece of advice, it's if you're targeting people, look to come up with different ways of going after them. Not everybody is going to think and respond in the same way you are. Some people are very direct, quick decision makers, very decisive. Others prefer more detail and want to have as much information as possible before they make a decision. Other people need more of a nurturing approach. And then you've kind of got some creative people out there that just need something vibrant and super catchy to grab their attention and, you know, you can then start working on converting them from there. So it's kind of um, it's kind of an interesting one because the different types of um, getting someone's attention is going to vary significantly. And right now, you know, we're actually finding that in terms of ads that are really converting well, it's ads that get straight to the point mm-hmm. and tell people six what second attention get. Yeah. Yep. And also ad copy that is got enough information to address any possible objections that a person has. So one's the direct second one is the detailed one. And mm-hmm. then with those two there, you can then look at setting up your targeting, um, with stacked lookalike audiences. So, you know, lookalike audience, which, um, is based on people that have visited your website. A lookalike audience based on people, if you're an e-commerce website that have added an item to cart or purchased over the last 180 days and stacking them up against each other in one targeting audience. Mm-hmm. So those are just, you know, some of the things that have worked well uh, recently. And if you are patient enough to understand your customer and what their needs are and communicate it in short form and, you know, more detailed form, then you're going to be in a much greater position than uh, a lot of other advertisers. Absolutely. That's the reason we're building Otterfish, right? Like as much as I try and avoid this being a shameless plug for the sponsor, uh, that's what Otterfish does is at the moment it takes your, it it makes it easy to create an image. So you can use stock images or load your own images in there. You've got templates which modify the visual in, you know, enough of a way to create Uh, maybe five or 10 different variations of that one ad. And then you've got headlines. You can put two or three headlines in. You can put two or three or four different body copies in. You can target different audience segments and Otterfish will build this enormous campaign out for you at the click of a button. And then it tells you, so what we recommend is doing like a 24 or 48 hour kind of test with a bit of the budget. And then 48 hours later, you'll have a clear sort of high, the high performing ads and a clear winner, which the idea being that you've gone, okay, I've tested a whole bunch of different elements. This one seems to perform best to this audience. And then you turn up the budget to that and you start your next test on your next campaign. So, um, so I, I, I couldn't have asked for you to hand me that to, to any better, uh, Stuart. I, pre- I appreciate that. But yeah, that's, that's, I think 
I, I think we're at the stage now in Facebook ads and, and, and I'd love to hear your opinion on it, that it's now essential to do multiple multivariate testing. You, you can't really run a Facebook ads campaign without doing that functionality. And here's my reasons why. One, your competitors probably are. And two, how do you know if your ads are performing well? If you don't have some kind of baseline metric and you're not comparing variations against each other, what is a measure of good performance? Is $4 a click good? Is $2 a click good? You know, If you don't understand what the variance can be and, and, and how you can improve on that with testing, how do you know? Exactly. And a lot of people don't have the advantage that a lot of marketing agencies that specialize in, in paid advertising do, which is they have access to possibly even some of their competitors, but generally other people who have operated in different industries. They know what a good cost per click is. They know what a good cost per conversion, a lifetime value of a customer. Uh, all of these things really come into play. And the fact that Otterfish is uh, affording people that opportunity to go and come up with all those creatives, I think is fantastic because I actually went into the platform and joined up for free and created an account and had a little play around with some of the stock images that are available. And it's fantastic because it's all there. A lot of the images look incredible and it's easy to go and pick and choose what you want and choose the right font that is catchy and not difficult to read. Because if you go into a platform like Canva as a newbie, it's, mm -hmm. it's going to be a bit hard to navigate. Whereas in, you look at Otterfish, a lot of it's quite sort of you simple. You just pop, pop copy and it's, yeah, the, 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 the template does the work. Yeah, you're right. Um, that's the whole idea behind it is, you know, we see it as, a, as a, an important tool for people who just don't understand it. Like the, the best thing I think about Otterfish, um, and, and it's kind of why I asked you the question before is, we've built a flow that makes it kind of make a lot more sense, right? If you try and build these complex multivariate tests inside Facebook Ad Manager, as a newbie, you fucked. You've got absolutely no chance of trying to figure out how to do this. Maybe you could figure out an A-B test on an ad copy or an image or something, but doing multivariate testing across different audience segments, even by placement, if you want to go into that level of detail, you know, that's just way beyond the, the, the ability for most people inside a Facebook ad manager. But Otterfish, you can just do it in, an, it's like five screens. You just go, here's my ad, here's my audience, here's my you know, budget, and here's the dates I want to run and go. And Otterfish goes, mixes it all up, changes it all up, builds it all out for you and runs them all. And uh, the other thing which I, I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on too is this idea of ad set level. So um, Typically, when people run multivariate tests, they'll run them at the ad level. And then, of course, the first ad that gets a bit of interest or a click or two, suddenly all of the budget funnels into that ad and, uh, and the rest of the ads in that ad group don't, uh, don't really get any, any uh, it's not a fair test. You know, you're not comparing an even amount. So how do you kind of deal with that? So most important thing to remember is understanding first what your budget is. Have you got a budget of $20 a day? Is it $10 a day? Is it $60, $100 a day? Um, that's the most important thing. If it's under that $1,000 a month I mentioned, you generally should be waiting a month, possibly even more if you've got the ability to um, test for that period, mm -hmm. a month before you start looking at optimizing and making big changes on your campaign. If your budget is above $1,000 a month, you can generally get some early learnings after two weeks. Mm -hmm. And that gives you the opportunity to then decide, okay, uh, what's the most important thing? How long is it taking for somebody to convert from someone that's seen my ad and visited my website or um, opened the lead form, but not made an inquiry and turning them into a lead or a sale. And that then generally gives you the opportunity to Start looking at how your cold advertising budget is, is divvied up against your remarketing budget. What we've found with uh, one of my clients who sells watches is that there is a requirement now to get the traffic in initially with yep. about a third of the budget mm -hmm. and then use the other third of the budget to build his email list and then the final third put it into remarketing. So it's quite an even split where you're building an engaged audience, but you're also targeting those people that have visited the website and added an item to the cart or initiated a checkout, but haven't purchased yet. And people often underestimate the Absolutely. opportunities with remarketing. It's just so underutilized still. Even big agencies that are turning over 
uh, high six, early seven figures are still not giving their customers enough um, sales from remarketing ads. Totally. We're starting to see sequential remarketing and things like building out these advertising journeys for people based on their reactions and what pages they're visiting and stuff. So it's not just serving and I clicked on the website, I didn't buy, here's another ad. It's multiple levels of that. Mm. Uh, so yeah, you, as we as we started the conversation talking about this idea of specialization and that because the platforms just get more and more complex as they get smarter and, and get better at what they do, the number of features that you've got to take advantage gets more and more complex, right? So, uh, so I, 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 I'm seeing what you've done, gone and done, and obviously very successfully in creating a specialist niche role. And I suspect that's going to happen across other platforms too. So, while we're talking about remarketing, what's your thoughts on cross-channel? So, I'm a big believer in, uh, or I have seen higher conversion rates from campaigns where we might use Facebook as our kind of outreach inbound you know our, our our main sort of discovery or awareness part of our campaign and then once we've kind of getting them into that remarketing funnel we'll start pushing them onto ads onto say youtube or, or google or different places to do our remarketing what are your thoughts on that is that standard play for you or that's something that which definitely has a place trevor i think so many businesses may just focus a lot of their time on one platform like especially if they are a local business like in a trade like a builder or a plumber they may just focus a lot of their attention onto google ads and that's that's fine but having a omnipresence all over the web is going to increase your chances of converting someone and you know you don't have to run the the risk of you know irritating and annoying absolutely everybody mm-hmm. um you just set irritating and annoying of, number of people yeah <laughs> you, you said you set a time period of like 30 days you don't want to turn into like an alaric heck or sophie howard who follow you around for 365 days of the year um but just set it for like 30 days and if someone's really interested in your services and you're showing up frequently enough then they're going to get in touch with you and mm-hmm. google ads is a great way to do that i mean i've started running Google ads about a year ago for some clients. And I found that to be a great platform for some people, particularly local businesses, but also those people who want to get an extra bit of presence and have what someone I know calls an online portable billboard, which is display advertising. You Mm -hmm. create a banner, you have a clear uh, call to action, calling people out, book a free call, um, get your uh, lights fixed, um, looking for a plumber, give us a call, and then just having that set up on the Google Display platform, and that allows you to reach people in a different way because not everybody's going to go onto Facebook every day, mm-hmm. but there is a very big chance that people are going to go are online onto every YouTube, day. Mm-hmm. onto Google, onto the Herald, onto Stuff, onto other platforms, and if the ads are showing up there, your chances of converting them are greater than your competitors who aren't doing that. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's um, it's it's unusual. I think when people, or, or, or I find it um, a little bit disappointing when people don't buy into the, the the remarketing across. You know, especially I call it non-converted remarketing into different channels. So I've been to your website. I've sort of expressed an interest in who you are and what you do, and now I'm out elsewhere and I'm getting. Um, those are a different message or I'm still seeing your messaging. But the beauty of that, I think, is that you're only paying for a very small audience. So you don't have to spend a lot of money on remarketing and across different channels. People hear this and go, yeah, if I had $5,000 a month, that'd be no problem. But you can actually do it because the audience numbers are small. You mentioned uh, local. How do you uh, leverage Facebook advertising for local small businesses? Because I think that's a really big challenge in a lot of places. If you if you are the sort of business that draws, say, 80% of its clientele from a 5K radius of your, of your uh, place of business, it, it gets very, very hard, I find, to micro-target those little businesses on, on, on social. What are your, what's your advice around that? Yeah, so you've, you've got the opportunity, obviously, to drop a pin around a particular area on Facebook within the targeting. You don't just have to type in, like, your location. So, for example, like Tauranga, and you drop a you know, you're a cafe that wants to target people within 10Ks of where you are, you can go a little bit more broad-based if your audience is too small. My other recommendation as well for local targeting is not to put any interests 
um, against those people because what Facebook does when they are targeting, effectively just picture a circle and draw a couple of dots within that circle. And what Facebook is essentially doing is they're creating dots every single time, trying to find that target client for you. The most important thing that you can do is give them as much of an opportunity as possible to find the right client within that area. So don't have any user interests, just keep it broad based. Take it about two or three kilometers outside what you'd ideally like to target and just let Facebook's artificial intelligence go and target those people. Mm -hmm. I think a, a, um, another pro tip is to change the settings, right? So that you're not targeting people who have recently been in this location uh, or people who are currently in this location, but the, the, the Facebook concept of people who live in this location so that you're you're not just getting passing traffic or yeah i was in hamilton yesterday and i'm seeing your ads up here in auckland and uh, you know i'm not interested in your your prime meat cuts because uh <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's an hour and a half's drive for me to get them prime meat cuts uh good one so youtube's an interesting animal what about you know and i've got to ask the question do you think facebook's a sunset platform are we seeing that the, the dying of the of the great beast as the, these other platforms arise or is Facebook to you fairly stable and we're just seeing more and more attention online and, and other platforms are picking up that, that, that new attention? You are seeing a lot more platforms picking up and gaining traction. One of the great mistakes that uh, MySpace made, um, which was the Facebook um, back in Before the day Facebook, in terms yeah. of users, mm -hmm. it was unable to monetize in a way that Facebook has success successfully been able to and running ads and getting people's attention and keeping them engaged. And Facebook's also been very good in that they've made a lot of key acquisitions through WhatsApp, through Instagram, and some other smaller platforms that neither of us know about, but it's allowed them to innovate and restructure their efforts so that if Facebook becomes you know, a bit of a dying platform, it can link back onto Instagram for paid advertising mm -hmm. and other partnerships. And a lot of young people um, aren't on Facebook as much as say m my generation is when it was a big thing to just go on Facebook, create an account and start sharing your life with everybody. Um, but it is a platform that I think they will continue to, you know, get advertising revenue from through platforms like Instagram and some of the other smaller ones. So I think this, the growth there is reasonably good, perhaps for the traditional Facebook advertising platform, it's probably got another good seven or eight years left in it before I think Instagram will overtake it. But only time will tell as to whether or not that will come true. Yeah. Interesting prediction. What about um, uh, things like TikTok and these other players that aren't uh, in the Facebook ecosystem? So, yeah, I totally agree. And that's obviously Facebook's strategy is to just buy the platforms that are doing well, own that that arena of attention and serve ads to that arena of attention to, to, to monetize it. But there's now platforms like, I mean, there was the big controversial thing with Snapchat a few years back, right? When Facebook tried to buy Snapchat, and I think the number was something like $3 billion. They offered Snap to, to buy it and Snap went, fuck you. You don't get to own everything in the internet. And, uh, and now uh, Snapchat's having a bit of a renaissance with all the AR stuff that they're doing, but that platform died off, right? Like Facebook just went, well, we'll just replicate your, you're offering into our own existing ecosystem. And, and, you know, if we can't buy you, we'll just beat you basically. Hmm. What do you think now we've got platforms like TikTok that have definitely got more than enough traction to sustain an attack from Facebook and some uh, YouTube is continuing to rise. I mean, it's always been a big, big site. I think it's the second largest site online here in New Zealand. Uh, it's still getting bigger. I think YouTube is becoming even more and more important these days. What are you seeing in, in the market and, and are you changing and starting to look at different platforms and starting to run more campaigns across different channels? Yeah. So I've learned how to run Google ads and YouTube ads successfully in the last year. That's been something which has, has become very obvious is that video is becoming a lot more popular um, mm -hmm. across all platforms. And that means if you're on Facebook, uh, creating good, strong video ads that tell people what's coming straight away and has a clear call to action. And with Google and YouTube ads, look, those two platforms are always going to have a market so long as Google remains the behemoth of the search engine world. With YouTube, very underutilized as a search engine platform, but it's also just a great way of communicating knowledge with people. 
like my channel, I think right now has about 850 subscribers. It, a couple of years ago, it was sitting at zero subscribers. So over that time, um, I've slowly developed an audience and it's really been a great way to stand out from other people, other mm -hmm. marketing agencies, other people who do the same thing as I do with Facebook ads. It just gives them that extra level of trust and credibility and authority. And it also saves them money as well because a lot of the tutorials that we're doing on the channel are things that are super easy to do. Like if you want to set up a page likes campaign, you should never ask an agency to do that for you. You know, they'll charge you $300 for something that takes 10 minutes at the mm -hmm. very most. And with platforms like Otterfish, you can easily just hop onto there, come up with a good creative in a couple of minutes and then set it up within your target area and you're ready for away. So mm -hmm. I see that being a very, um, YouTube being a very um, popular platform and that will continue to grow in popularity as time goes on. I don't see it going anywhere so long as people are interested in video and interested firstly in being educated, secondly in being entertained. And if you're able to combine both of those things into your ads, your video ads, then you're going to go really far because uh, there's a recent example that I came across. I, I must have clicked on a, uh, one of these like slot machine apps the other day. And then yeah, sure, a couple of days later, I was on YouTube <laughs> and there was this guy going, you know, not winning the jackpot and 10 spins, fake slots, not having to, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, wait more than 10 minutes to get a jackpot, fake slots, fake slots. They're all fake. And it's like such an entertaining hook in mm -hmm. and you can't help but laugh at it. But it makes you kind of want to watch right through and small businesses don't have to go that extreme with capturing people's attention. It could just be something like, is your house in need of roof repairs? Call um, Kitty Kitty Roofing. We do full re-roofing and restoration. Perfect for anybody living within the Western Bay of Plenty and also Tauranga. Mm -hmm. Call us now on the number below. We look forward to hearing from you. Something like no. that can really just get the person, you know, they get their attention get them interested in what you have to offer, which you provide, and also how they can reach you. And if you're doing those things uh, with video ads, it's, I'm not gonna say it's its super easy, but it's its a formula that the best are using. Totally, and it's so, and it's so crazy, it's overlooked. I've, I've seen ads where I've gone, that was a cool ad, I wanna know more about it. And it's taken me a while to figure out how to get to the advertiser and what they're advertising, what they're selling the website to where I need to buy it. It's not an easy journey. So, mm. you know, you, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You've got my attention, make it easy for me to find out more and, and, and make an easy journey for me to, to, to convert. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last thing, because I can see we're clocking up and we're, and we're, and we're pushing down the minutes, mate. Um, and I, I really want to hear about what your thoughts are on Facebook's big announcement last year. So Facebook uh, came out and just went, we're meta and this is going to be fun. And they did this enormous sort of hype campaign around their, their name change. They weren't selling any products. They weren't uh, offering any functionality changes or anything, literally just advertising a name change. So there's, that's obviously, you know, all the meme bullshit aside, that spurns some kind of interest in the market. What is meta and what does it do? So you're in their, in their primary ecosystem all the time. What are your thoughts about what is meta here to do and, and, and what does that mean to businesses that you're working with? Yeah, look, I haven't looked too far into what exactly um, they're sort of trying to achieve ultimately. A lot of what I've heard is, is through other people. I think they're trying to adapt to what a lot of people are predicting will happen in the future with people's um, experiences and artificial reality. And effectively, it's it's kind of like trying to change, like live this Sims type of life, isn't it? Like where you go and live in this virtual reality and you can create an ideal version of yourself. Is, is that right? Yeah, um, I've, I've been getting very heavily into this space, so I could probably go down a, a pretty deep rabbit hole with you. But um, essentially, it's, it's, it's like taking functions like this, like this podcast and the, and the format through which we're, we're producing this uh, particular piece of content and just changing the environment into a more gaming-like environment. So when people ask me, like, what is the metaverse? Well, it's Fortnite. You know, Fortnite is a is a in a, in its own way a metaverse, right? It's a metaverse type experience, but soon your Zoom meetings will be that. Your dinner parties will be a, a Fortnite 
you know, gaming-like environment where you and I will actually be, we, our, our input, our sensory input would interpret us as sitting in the same room. You might be a rabbit or, a, or, a, or an ape or something, and I might be some sort of other weird character. But that aside, we'd actually be able to look around each other and it would be a virtual representation of ourselves, but we're not just staring at this sort of two-dimensional screen. So that's kind of what I see as the next big shift, you know, and all the major communication tools will move into those environments and enable functionality within that sort of space. It, sound, it sounds like that Tom Cruise movie um, that he was in where I think they were arresting people for crimes that they hadn't yet committed, but report. they used the mind yeah. reading. What was it called? Yeah. Minority Report, yeah. I yeah, think- and it's so interesting. Like they catch the eyes and then all of a sudden it's just like, hey, hey, Tom, you know, you can yeah. get this product to sort How of- How are those shoes you bought last yeah. week? Yeah, yeah, all that sort of stuff. I think yeah. that's more likely to capture, like to take off than people would expect. Um, mm-hmm. The whole metaverse thing, it's it's a very hard thing to say. Like, you know, a lot of people are, are betting big on it to happen, but I can see a lot of that stuff in Minority Report where people are- or artificial intelligence and machine learning is able to pick up so much about our user behavior and information um, about what we're doing and our behavior and so on that I think that'll become a lot more valuable over time is is trying to just sift through all of that and create the ideal uh, sort of customer experience and customer journey um, on someone's route to becoming uh, a client or a customer for a particular Mm -hmm. company. It's this predictability algorithm, right? Like they're not just profiling you, but trying to now predict what your next likely behavior is. And then you hear these conversations and when they get it right, you hear these conversations. Oh, we were just talking about that the other night. Messenger must be listening to me. And now I'm seeing ads for uh, for this particular product. Maybe Messenger is listening, but I don't know if it's smart enough yet to go, oh, you mentioned sunglasses and start showing you sunglass ads. But I think the algorithms are getting particularly good at predicting Uh, our interests and behaviors, especially across Facebook, when you think about, you know, I'm sending signals to Facebook when I'm in marketplace, looking around in marketplace and clicking on ads that are in marketplace for products. I've now noticed that I'm starting to see those products getting served to me outside of of Facebook uh, marketplace. So there's some interesting um, stuff going on in in this sort of data tracking analysis and predictability uh, score space. So yeah, really- absolutely. And and one of the things that we were talking about off air just before was that uh, what works well today may not necessarily work at all tomorrow. And you constantly need to be adapting and changing and making sure that you're staying ahead of the game. And one of the things that I'd urge any person that's uh, running Facebook ads for their business, or if you're working at a company that's running Facebook ads, is to do as many training courses as possible Make sure you're always running tests of some kind. Engage your existing audience. Um, get them to watch your latest videos and uh, promote your posts in the ads manager. Don't boost them. Mm-hmm. And get that engagement up. Get some social credibility with likes and shares and comments so that people are keeping you front of mind for that. And also, if you're wanting to see what type of um, platforms people are engaging best with you on run some remarketing ads for maximum reach on google display platform and also on youtube and you should you know have a reasonably good idea after about a month or two as to where people are most likely to convert from yeah a little bit of patience eh? uh it's 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 pretty common that people sort of have this, uh, and, and it harks back to that period you were talking about, the glory days, I think, when Facebook, you could literally just launch an ad and the phone would start ringing, right? And it doesn't quite happen like that anymore. And it feels to me like uh, clients expect that, you know, oh, the ad's launched today, so the phone should start ringing any minute. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the the algorithms take time to kind of find and, and zero in. And so, you know, people, I think, get in and fiddle too much as well. So you've, you've mentioned a couple of times that, give it two weeks, give it a month, depending on your budget to make sure that you've got some time for people to come in and for Facebook to go, oh, you're that sort of person. Oh, you look like that sort of person and and and, and zero in and try and really define and profile the right types of people. And if you keep fiddling all the time, you keep starting that sort of process over and over again, right? So Yeah, because it sends it back into the learning stage. And something that I've tested um, in the last year, Trevor, is I set up various campaigns with particular set budgets. So one was at $10 a day, one was at $20 a day. And then there was one campaign which ran for a very limited time, which was at $100 a day. And 
In terms of overall results, the campaign that was set at $20 a day within a very defined area was the one that had the best long-term results. The $100 at day one had a good sugar rush initially. There were a couple of leads and inquiries, but after that, it tended to die out because it was going after so many people in such a broad area. So having a more defined um, audience and target market, it doesn't have to be super defined, just defined enough for Facebook's artificial intelligence to do the working. Um, you're gonna eventually um, get the inquiries and the interest that you like if you're prepared to be patient and discover whether or not something is working well. And if it is working well, look at how you can replicate that. Adjust the call to action button, You know, add an emoji or two in, make it a little different. And if it's not working, look at what the initial root problem is. Are you not getting people through to the landing page? Are you not getting people to book a call? Uh, is the cost per 1000 impressions just too high? Once you can identify that initial problem, just change one variable and change another variable and another variable. And eventually you'll discover what it is that's, that's wrong. And you can in the long term fix it and start winning. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Okay, so I'm now in my Facebook audience tool and I'm targeting my audience. Stuart McAdam, what's the ideal audience size? And let's narrow this down to New Zealand because uh, most of my audience is in New Zealand anyway. But as an example, what, what should a, a, a business in Tauranga be looking for for an audience size? What's a, a starting point? Like that? anything lower than that's too few, anything higher than that's too many. So generally, your starting point would be about a quarter of the size of Tauranga. So let's let's round it up to the wider area and say 50,000 people. Mm -hmm. Ideally, you want to have all 200,000 people within that area and ideally have a wider radius as well. So it can start using those dots to target people more specifically. Anything under a quarter of the size for a product that has a reasonably broad appeal is, is not going to be worthwhile. And if you are targeting people based on remarketing, then you want to go after anybody who has um, visited or engaged with you in some meaningful way, but not um, taken the action you want them to, like calling you or making a purchase. Mm -hmm. Can I target my remarketing audience, to your knowledge, based on how long they interacted with my website? So i.e. avoid bounces, right? So people who are scrolling mindlessly through Facebook accidentally push their finger too hard as they go to scroll it's on your ad, they visit your page, which I'm told is about 30% of all clicks uh, are accidental. So 30% of your marketing budget's just a waste of money. But anyway, uh, mm -hmm. can I target people if they've been on my website for say 30 seconds or something, they've actually stopped taking a look, read something and then bounced. Is that a yeah, target yep, on? there is a way to do that. So there's a filtering tool that you can use in setting up a custom audience. And that allows you to target people based on whether they're the top 10% or 25%, or if you've got enough traffic, the top 5% of visitors. So generally, I'd recommend going after that. And then um, just having that exclusion for people that are purchases and already leads. Mm -hmm. And generally, you can find that will filter out the people accordingly. And just to come to your point as well about uh, fake clicks and wasted budget, there's a great platform called ClickCease, and you can okay. connect that up to your Google and Facebook ads accounts, and that stops uh, click fraud in, some, in various shapes and forms. If someone accidentally clicks twice or accidentally clicks on your ad or if it's their kid that's just having a scroll on mum or dad's iPhone um, to get to something and they click your ad or whatever, mm -hmm. um, that protects you against um, click fraud. Interesting. So uh, I, I remember reading a very feisty kind of mega thread around this where even uh, Mark Zuckerberg was kind of getting involved and commenting, commenting on it. And there was a big call from marketers to say, look, this is bullshit. You know, uh, it's, I think it was something like eight seconds or six seconds or something was the metric. So if somebody was six seconds on your website, that was a, that was a, a click. So you, uh, you paid for that. And I mean, most websites take five seconds to load. So you're literally talking about people who have been on your site for a second and you've paid for that. So, you know, there was all this conversation about, can we move it out to like 12 seconds? That'd be a more meaningful metric, right? That's given my website time to load. And if they're still there after 12 seconds, they're actually reading something on the page. So yeah, I'll pay for that click. 
but of course, Facebook doesn't want to make that change because the difference between six seconds and eight or 12 seconds is a massive amount of revenue, right? It's an enormous amount of money that they want. And, and that's why Facebook very often will charge you for an impression rather than a click. Yeah, or, or both, right? So they're charging you by the impression and then they're charging you again for clicks. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're ruthless. And, you know, it's, it's I think the, the, the bottom line here is it's important that you either go slow, start small, take your time, be strategic and, and kind of a little bit uh, methodic about how you do your ads and you vary and, and testing variations and refining and optimizing and optimizing, or you hire somebody who knows what they're doing on the platform because you can, there's just so many ways you can fuck it up. There's so many ways you can just do your dough if you don't really know what you're doing. And I think the number one way of doing that is pushing the boost button. And anybody out there who's listening, if you are pushing the boost button, you need to speak to Stuart, especially if you're based in New Zealand. And even if you're not, I'm assuming you'd work with clients internationally. This is not something you need to be in a particular location to do. Are you, uh, do you have international clients, mate? Yep, got some international clients, mostly in Australia. Um, but I'm very fortunate to have plenty of uh, wonderful and powerful clients here in New Zealand too. Awesome. Mate, uh, how can people best reach you? Um, just on my YouTube channel, uh, Stuart McAdam, or visit my website, uh, www.stuartmcadam.com. Nice. And uh, look, Stuart, I've, I've, I've gone into uh, – I'm going down a rabbit hole that I'm struggling to maintain focus on the conversation because you've just dumped so much stuff on me that I, I now have to go away and digest. And I'm somebody who considers myself pretty good at this stuff. So, mate, thank you so much for, for dropping so much amazing advice. I hope that a lot of small businesses take the time to listen to this. We'll try and chop it up and pick out some of the key moments so that we can share those again with people. But so many uh, you know, invaluable tips for people to get the most out of their Facebook budget. And if you need some help with that, reach out to Stuart. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, yeah. Thank you, mate. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Enjoyed, uh, enjoyed getting to know you and uh, look, let's, uh, let's circle back when we see what Meta's next move is and uh, we can have a bit of a chat about what that, what that might mean to some uh, small businesses around the place. No, that sounds great, Trevor. Thanks very much and pleasure to be on the show. Awesome. Thanks everybody. See you next time. Cheers. Bye.